Anti-Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Anti-Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AntiUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Anti-Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's May 17th, 2019. You're listening to the best poker cast in the world for now. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> and I'm Scott Long. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, we're watching all of these TV shows that are going away this week, you know, uh, Big Bang, Game of Thrones, and uh, people are just out of their minds and social media or just in our family and stuff wanting to know, you know, how these shows are going to end. You know, uh, Veep ended last week, too. You probably didn't watch that, but it's a fantastic show. Well, Veep, yeah. I um, I watched the first season of that, I think, and then I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. I don't know what it is. And I love her, too. I love watching her and all the things, so I don't know why. The insults on there are the best insults ever on yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, it's pretty fast-paced, too, usually, and I like stuff like that. And I just, for some reason, never got into it. But, you know, all these shows ending, it, it, I always, every once in a while, I put it on here as a quarterly curiosity. Uh, when's our show going to end, Scott? And how's it going to happen? Yeah, very interesting. Uh, probably it's probably going to go quietly in the sleep, right? <laughs> One of us is going to die in our sleep, maybe. Yeah, exactly. One of us retired. Oh, sorry, guys, no show today. Chris is dead. Chris is gone. Is that how you do it? Because you know what, you couldn't even do that because I do the whole show from here. You wouldn't even know how to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, I would have to uh, watch a fourteen-year-old uh, on YouTube tell me how to do it, but <laughs> you probably put it on Facebook. You can figure out everything on Facebook. I mean, on YouTube now. So, um, you know, I, I do. I wonder though. I wonder when we're going to stop. Is it going to be when we sell the company? When we retire? When we just say, you know what? It's just it's, it's run its course like these other shows. How many times you watch these shows and you're like, oh, how can they do another season? This show should have been over four years ago. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can see us still doing this at the nursing home when we're fighting over the last cottage cheese. <laughs> Possible. Oh, man. Now, see, that would be interesting podcasting, though. <laughs> I, I don't know if we're picking up any new listeners at that point, but, you know. <laughs> Just the ones in the home sitting around yeah, us. The, yeah, the, the four people down the hall that can hear us <laughs> on the show. Turn up my hearing aid. <laughs> it's the Annie Up Cottage Cheese podcast. Uh, well, no, it, it, the interesting thing about the, the thing you put on the uh, two things. One, uh, when I first read the show notes, it said Big Bang Got, and I'm like, man, that's terrible grammar from our editor. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you would think that, too. I was going to do a lowercase o. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, gave it to us, got it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we're both big TV fans, right? So, yeah. I mean, we love watching these shows, and we get invested in them, and uh, in the end, you get kind of melancholy, right, because it's over, but then you think back to... Uh, all the good times you had with the show, no matter what it is. Um, and it's also interesting to go back and, uh, and I know you do this too, like Friends is on TBS all day and the Nick and Night all night, so it's yeah. on 24 hours, right? Yeah. And, um, 
so on my most recent uh, trip up to Maryland for the Big Rock Festival, um, my friend that always goes there with me, we we watch Friends all night when we get done with the shows, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, the first night we were there was the last three episodes ever of Friends, right? Uh, and not spoiling anything, but Rachel gets off to bed. Um, <laughs> and then so I'm like, you know, oh my gosh, you know what this means? When we come back from the show, uh, the concert tomorrow night, they're going to start all over. Yeah. Or we're going to see the first couple, and uh, it's just interesting to see how shows develop. Because if you think back in the time, and I was a Friends fan from the first night. I was I was right after I graduated from college. I had my first little bachelor apartment, and that debuted that fall. And I watched it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is me, right? Yeah. And, um, um, so you grew up with it, and, but at the time, you have no idea where that's going to go. I mean, how many shows debut and then are canceled by the end of the season, right? Yep. Um, so to predict that a show was going to go nine, ten seasons and become a cultural touchstone is impossible to do. Just like when the first time we uh, sat there in the the microwave office <laughs> and, <laughs> and recorded the show three times in a row, uh, our producer didn't like that first two. <laughs> Back then it was easy because the show was only six minutes long. <laughs> so we had no idea that it was going to be all this, right? So. I don't know how it's going to end, but I know when it does end, uh, certainly going to look back fondly at the uh, the journey. I, I just wondered if we were going to like we might set like a you know like a a number, you know, like oh, all right, like this is our final tour and we signed a contract. Yeah, we kind of like all right, the and last show go back is in the studio when the the dirt movie comes out, so we can record <laughs> more music. Yeah, yeah, maybe we should do that. And you think about how many shows have come and gone. While we've been the kings of, I mean, think about about like shows that started like three years after we started our show, had a run of a decade and then ended, and we're still doing the show. It's like uh, yeah. Bonanza, you know, and The Simpsons. Huh? <laughs> And much like Bonanza, we probably don't have anybody watching or listening anymore, I think. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And then, you know, the other thing, too, is like, you know, if you if you watch those shows, like you brought up Friends, you can go back and watch those shows because they're entertaining. They're like, but I don't know if people actually go back and listen to our shows. Like, people find us and then go back and start listening to them for the first time. But I don't know how many people out there have actually listened to our show more than once. Well, that's because we're not on TBS yet. So, <laughs> that's why haven't we gotten syndication? That's the thing. We could retire right now if somebody would syndicate our show. Well, I, no, I think the growth for us—not that we are looking to grow any more than we already are now—but you know, the number one request we seem to get from from listeners is to make the show video, right? Yeah. Which I laugh all the time because if people saw what I was dressed in right now, and I can only imagine what you're dressed in right now. <laughs> you don't mad. You, I know you imagine it all the time. I don't know why you're doing it. You're sick, but don't imagine it. Uh, I, I can say with a hundred percent certainty, no one wants to see what we look like right now, right? So, <laughs> right. But uh, we could go back and animate the shows, right? <laughs> animate. Go on Fiverr, find some an animator there, give them five bucks, and have them animate it and uh, recreate it in a video, and then. Now you can sell it. You know what we'll do? They'll take our little logo with me and you, uh, you know, on the opposite sides of the mics, and they'll they'll just make our mouths move to the yeah. words, right? That's well, all they got to do. Fast. Remember way back at the time somebody did that? Yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't uh, flattering for us. No, it, it was not. It was not. It was insulting. <laughs> and they, like, changed our voices, too. It was pretty bizarre. Well, that that I was, I'm in favor of, if I... 
But I that's when it. you know you made it, Scott. I have a voice for TV. So. <laughs> that's when you know you've made it. When uh, when people are you know parroting you and 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 making fun of you and stuff. That's when you've made it. So we've made it a long time ago. Well, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess uh, sometime in 2020 the show comes to an end. So 2020. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Get ready. Start the countdown now. Get ready. Start the countdown. Well, here, here's the thing, though. It's just like any good rock band. We'll say 2020, and then we'll keep booking <laughs> dates after that. So <laughs> We'll book dates when we won't show up for them. <laughs> you know, like one of those acts that you don't really care about that you see in the ad. I'm like, final tour. I'm like, it was the final tour three years ago. The who? Like, oh, yeah, well, he's still on tour. I'm like, whoa, geez. The who's been on a final tour for 20 years, I think. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, the Supreme Court uh, struck down the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act a year ago. We all hoped online poker would finally break through on a federal level. Uh, but a recent article uh, shows that uh, not a lot has happened in that uh, realm. So. Yeah. What the hell is going on? We had big plans, right? We had big plans for this. Well, you know, I think uh, I'm trying to think back. I and maybe somebody went back and re-listened to that show. <laughs> Anybody does that? Uh, but I, I try to think back to what our conversation was probably like at that point, and I hope that we were a little bit more guarded than I think we were um, in discussing this now, because um, it seems to me uh, maybe again revisionist history because I didn't go back and listen to it, but. I, I think the thought process was that sports betting was going to be that thing that states were going to jump on because there seems to be a bigger demand for that, right? Right. Um, it's easier to understand than poker. Um, so because that, so now there there was a gambling conversation happening in states that wasn't happening before, right? And then, so as part of that, um, good lawmakers, I think, would say, hey, this is an opportunity. Let's not have this discussion every year and, a di- and adding a different game every year. Let's just do the whole ball of wax at once. Yeah. And that's what we were hoping to happen. And uh, I think that's only happened in maybe one or two states since then. So, now it's been a year, right? So, um, maybe a little too early to, to panic on that. I mean, there are discussions going on in other places, but um, yeah, I did think it, it would be a little bit better now. Well, but, we, yeah, and we also thought, you know, the relationship that sports books have with poker rooms whenever we're in casinos right. right when we travel we always thought well whenever you go to a casino that actually has a sports book it's always right next to the poker room it seems like and we thought well a lot of times the poker room managers are in charge of the sports book or vice versa or something too and so we thought if they got a flush of cash it might mean more for the poker rooms and and all that as well um but really it's it's i think it's been a pretty decent disappointment uh, it's a pretty decent disappointment. Yeah, like. I mean, I mean, you know, we, we we I think we were tempered in our reaction to it. We were happy that something. You know, we we kept we. I always say this: where whenever one more piece of the puzzle comes together, ultimately you're going to see that image and know what the picture is. And I feel like whenever we get something like this, then we get one more piece. Eventually, we're going to see the puzzle, and so are the feds, and they're going to say, "Hey, let's just you know." We're losing money by not doing this the right way. Let's just do it the right way and be done with it. And it's just not happening. And, of course, in our country right now, you know, we never know what's going to happen in this country now. So um, it could be forever. It could never happen at all, you know, the way we want things to turn out. Um, who knows? But it, it is it is frustrating. Uh, I remember being encouraged. As a matter of fact, we were, we were on the cruise to Aruba when it all was going to come down. They were saying it's coming down. It's going to happen. Yeah, and then like as soon as we got on land, I think it happened, and we we're like, wow. And 
we were talking to a bunch of people then that knew that the rooms were going to pretty much hit the ground running uh, and, and did. But it really hasn't meant anything for us. If anything, it actually pulled back a little for us. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. Um, and, well, the other thing to keep in mind, too, I'm not trying to make two rosy color glasses here, is uh, legislation is hard, yeah, um, even yeah. at the state level. Uh, particularly certain states, it's even harder than it should be. So sometimes it takes two or three sessions to get a bill through. You know, you get the first time, it's just – it's like advertising, right? You need to place an ad and ante up three times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for it to work, you know, the first time somebody notices, the second time they contemplate it, and the third time they buy, right? So I think it's that that does have parallels in legislation. So you know, um, you know, the first session is you're introducing, and the second one you get some good thought and markups, and then the third one is when it kind of sails through. So yeah, yeah. Um, so really, I mean, I think really our our dire thoughts on this come in year three, um, if you think of it that way, rather than after year one, but. Because there's three legislative uh, yeah, I mean, mo- mo- yeah, I sessions mean, mo- or whatever. Most states have legislative sessions. Not all do. So, you know, um, like, you know, in Florida, they, they meet for two months every year. So, and after that, they don't do much the yeah. rest of the year. So, yeah. um, and for other state, most states are like that. So, you know, if you think of it that way, then, you know, maybe by the third year. I mean, some gets through the first year. Some gets through in the second year. Some doesn't. Ma- some don't make it through in the third year. So, right. But, but I think that's probably a better timeline to judge um, whether those thoughts that we had a year ago actually came to fruition or not. So. Well, that's going to suck because in three years we're not going to have the show anymore. So we're gonna... no, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be on the <laughs> We'll do special editions. We'll we'll come back and do the occasional show to update you on the. Why do you say it, Paspa? <laughs> <laughs> All right, any updates? If you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Annie Up in your home area, apply at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in the Pacific Northwest and Michigan. Also get up uh, some Annie Up merchandise at tpublic.com slash stores slash anti-up to check out T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and more with your choice of the Annie Up Magazine, Annie Up Podcast, or any uh, poker tour logos. And did, did I mention this that uh, our good friend <laughs> Elliot, who does the call for, had his uh, T Public uh, Annie Up sweatshirt on the last cruise? Oh, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, it looked pretty nice. It's, yeah. uh, it's a little kind of uh, brownish, but a little dark brownish, so it's not brown. But uh, it was a nice color, it was a good quality, so it, it's held up well. I was very impressed. So. Very cool, very cool. Here we go. Uh, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcastannieupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Annie Up Poker Cruises, available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. Comes from AJ Penny uh, via the Annie Up fans page. Why is the main event still the same $10,000 buy-in that it was in the 70s when that was a sizable amount of cash to risk? Should it be more? Should they change any of the formats for these WSOP events? Uh, I, I I actually stayed out of this on on uh, the Facebook <laughs> and page. I pulled you in, and then you pulled me a little. But I I do think that uh, it's it's fine. This amount of money, I tell you what, if it's not, if you don't think it's sizable now, then tell you what, give me ten grand, and uh, <laughs> I'll be happy to take it off your hands, <laughs> because that ten grand is still a lot of money today. I don't care what anybody says, it's a lot of money. Um. You know, it's it's not what it used to be. You know, I would assume if we did one of those, 
you know, inflation clocks or whatever they call it, and then went back to the 70s and what 10 grand would be worth today is probably like 100 grand or something. But even so, that doesn't mean that it's still not a lot of money. It's just that back then it was remarkable how much it was. Now it's just, it's still not really attainable for me, you know. Um, yeah, you could try to get into a, a $100 satellite. $1,857, according to Google. There you go. There you go. So almost a hundred grand, almost three, you know, six hundred grand. So that's six times the amount. Uh, to me, that's still a lot of money. You know, I mean, they have events that are fifty thousand dollar buy-ins. So that's closer to it. Um, and actually, if you think about it, the ones who enter those events are basically the big time pros, and it correlates to back then. The big time pros were the ones who paid ten grand to enter the main. The main no, they didn't call it a main event then, but yeah. Um, so it's it's similar. It's just that they. I, I think that this is tradition, and I think it's a true, you know, you really have to earn that world title, you know, by earning that bankroll or earning that buy-in, um, and then and then giving it, uh, like the U.S. Open and golf, and we talk about that too. You, everybody should be able to enter this thing and have a chance, but it's still sizable to me. I don't know what you think. Well, I think, um, you know, we, we talk about this every couple of years, right? So I kind of want to put it on the show this time because, uh, well, AJ just posted it in the um, World Series is starting soon. And for whatever reason, the World Series didn't send us a press release this week for us to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but it's it, it, it's two philosophies, right? Neither one of them are right or neither one of them are wrong. So the, the one philosophy is that there's something magical about it always being 10,000, even if it gets a little bit more affordable for people every year. Um, uh, and also, if you think about it, it also, look at the size of the fields now, right? So mm-hmm. so if you think of it, if you keep raising it every year, so it's, it's say the main event's $61,000, which would be the equivalent of what it was the first time, right? <clears throat> How, what that would do to the field size, right? Right. Um. So I think there is a benefit to keeping it that way so more people can afford to get it and the fields get bigger and it becomes more more of an honor, I think, to beat 7,000 people than it does to beat 12, right? So uh, so there's that argument. Um, and and I understand the other argument of a, this is the, the most prestigious tournament of the year and therefore it should have a buy-in matching that. Now, I think what, um, what Caesars has done to address that, I... I I'm on board with, you know, they've added other events that are 50,000. I mean, geez, they've had a million dollar bet, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So for all those events, if you, if you're thinking that you, you need a title that is more expensive, more exclusive, uh, that exists now. I mean, in fact, actually I think the players championship is really what probably the main event was meant to be back then. Right. Yes. Now it's, now it's 50,000. All the only people that buy into that are the cream of the crop. You don't get a lot of uh, rich guys just splash around 50,000 and trying to play eight games. Right. So, um, so that's really, if you're looking for a world championship, that's probably really the event now and it exists as part of the world series. So, um, and at the same point, then, um, the actual main event is, you know, accessible to most players now. Yeah. The first, like you said, the first world champion that they did, they played a bunch of mixed games and then they voted on who was the best player or whatever. That's how it basically went. So it's very similar to what the 50 K is now, um, except for the vote part. And, um, yeah, I just like it. You know, uh, if you and I decided to start the Milky way series of poker, you know, (laughs) 
and then just just allow me and you to enter, and then we declare one of us the Milky Way champion of the world. I mean, what what? How hard is that to beat one person? To, so, the fact that they open it up to they keep it that price means that they knew someday that more and more people were going to be able to afford to get in, and it's a real a true test of of being the real world champion of beating as many people as possible. You know, I guess you could say, well, then why don't you enter? But it has to have some sort of sting to it as well. So you can't just make the buy in a hundred bucks and then have seventy thousand people enter. But I mean, it's got to have some sort of sting to it. So they play, they can play the the true a uh, game of poker where you know it means something to you to lose the hand or it means something to, you to lose a tournament or whatever. So um, well, I like the buy in. Like and uh, I think you're right on the sting part. I mean, the other sting part that I think you you forget in this kind of discussion on the buy in is that this is still a freeze out tournament. Yeah. How many of those exist anymore? Anywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, almost all tournaments now have re-entry. Um, or um, so you know, when you're out, you're not really out. You can just go back to the cage and buy back in. So the real sting in this event every year is once you're out of this tournament, you are out. You have to wait a whole another year. And uh, there have been a number of pros that talk about the worst day of the year is the day you get knocked out of the main event of the World Series because you know you can't buy back in and you got to wait that year. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's the bigger part, I think. If they ever got rid of that, that that would be the tragedy. If they started reentry, yeah, because that's not a true test of being the world champion. You know, you had a second chance at it. It's like that horrible, horrible finale last night in Survivor. <laughs> the worst season ever. Worst season ever. And if they duplicate it again, I'll stop. I mean, I don't even really watch it anyway. I kind of like work on my iPad while it's in the background, but. Oh, man, not to get too far off topic, but that was just horrible. So Dude, if they oh, did yeah, that to the main event. Gavin joke when you talk about the puzzle pieces early in the show, but I'm like, ah, I thought Chris gave up on Survivor. And you, <laughs> you should have made the joke. Just proof it, right? All right, we, funny. We got re- to re-record. Re-record the show. <laughs> Start over, make that Gavin joke. It was worth it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, if they did alter the main event that way, it would be a huge letdown. And I think there'd be a lot of complaints. Um, you know, that's the beauty of the whole event is that you're out, you're out. And and ten grand that that would sting me. I tell you, I, I it killed me to enter the fifteen hundred dollar event yeah. twelve no, years I was, ago. It's probably like years ago. Uh, uh, my wife said, you know, hey, if that seems like a bucket list thing. You should just do it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I got to take ten thousand of our dollars to get in an event and get my aces cracked in the first hand. Not happening. <laughs> I satellite myself in. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's not a bucket list. Hurts me. Ten thousand hurts. It hurts. Yeah, I, I, if I were to attempt it, it would be like a super satellite where I could just get a big stack somehow and then hopefully make the cut, you know, and then get my seat. You know, I, even a $1,000 10-person table or something is is even too risky for me. I'd rather enter a $100 tournament with 100 people and try to win that one seat or, you know, win 1,000 people and win 10 seats or something. So, yeah, I just I can't imagine myself putting down even – when, even, even when you and I had delusions that we were actually – good poker players okay. that maybe could actually make a living at it someday or something. Even back then when I was paying off my house with the winnings from online poker, you know, I still never even entertained the thought of a $10,000 buy-in. I just didn't, you know. Uh, I mean, I assume if you're doing it for a living, then it's a little different, you know, because you're that's you're sinking everything you got into it and you're making big swings and that might be a thing. But the way you and I are, are living our lives right now, I mean, ten grand, forget it. Absolutely yeah. forget it. Okay, uh, call the floor. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? 
Email us at podcast at nayupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled uh, with a book. Um, Todd McGee uh, sends us uh, a nice He's a little writer, nice little succinct uh, uh, little problem he had, and then the answer. I'm gonna literally go make a sandwich. Come back. I'm going to have Scott call me on the cell phone. Tell me when he's done reading. Uh, all right, here we go. It's a 1-2 no limit hold'em game in a Missouri casino in St. Louis. Uh, he was dealt pocket aces, raised, and got two callers. The flop was eight king deuce rainbow. The small blind checked, and he bet 35 bucks. At this point, one of the players who is not in the hand says to the dealer, where's the burn card? The dealer looks around. He sets down the deck and counts the cards in the muck pile, only 10. He does a quick count of the remaining cards in the stub, 33. He shrugs and says, I guess I forgot. Another player says to treat the 8 as an exposed burn card and deal the next card off the deck for the flop. Since I've bet, I start to object. But before I can say anything, the dealer turns over the 8 and peels off the ace of hearts. The card improves my hand immeasurably. No one else still in the hand raises an objection. Since I had started to protest, I feel obligated to continue because I didn't want my opponents to think I liked the ace. I argue that since one player checked and I bet, action had occurred and it was too late to alter the flop. The dealer asks if I want to call the four. Everyone else at the table seems irritated I'm holding things up, so I shake my head. Instead, I ask if I can undo my $35 bet since the board changed and let the betting round start over with the small blind. Another player not in the hand says that once a bet is made, it can't be rescinded, and the dealer agrees. I point out the board has changed and I should be allowed to reconsider, but no one backs me up. I eventually win the hand, but what should have been the proper procedures here? All right, now I know you wanted me to edit Elliot Dow, but here's the big reason I, I didn't. I My blood boiled reading this first email when Todd said it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not a violent man, but if a dealer ever shrugged and said, I guess I forgot, that's when I would snap. Yeah, I would be screaming, floor, as loud as I could until somebody came over to the table. So I'm going to like give Elliot all the latitude he wants to to make this dealer feel like doggy poop. Are we going to make sure the dealer hears this show? That's the thing. Uh-huh. No, I'm sure a dealer that puts that much effort and um, compassion into his job uh, does not listen to a poker show or does anything else poker-related effort, right? Hey, see, it comes full circle because I was just talking about my experience at the World Series, and that's when I came back and my chips were gone. The dealer yeah. shrugged and said, you're SOL. Yep. So, all right, Todd, make sure you take this recording to the poker room and play it for the dealer. <laughs> just like John Cusack can say anything, right? <laughs> that's right. Hold it over Walk his head. Big boom box. That's right. There you go. After reading your submission, I almost replied as just a series of emojis. This was bad on the dealer's part and on the part of the know-it-all players who didn't seem to know how poker rules or sound logic actually apply to poker. It was heartening to read that the laziness of the dealer and the interference of your game's table co-captains didn't prevent you from winning the pot. The dealer, uh, dealer is going to be dragged pretty heavily in my response, but please know that the poker room is also responsible for this lack of training. Uh, one. When the first player spoke up about the burn missing, the dealer is not supposed to do anything other than call for the floor. It is not the dealer's job to hunt for the missing burn or verify the stub count unless instructed to do so by the floor. This bears repeating. The dealer is not supposed to ever put down the stub, count the muck, or count the stub until the hand, um, the last card is dealt. Uh, also, any dealer that can't count the muck one-handed by sliding cards Baccarat style needs to learn how to do this immediately. 
Two, the player that suggested that the eight would be the burn and the next card would be added to the flop would have been correct if not for the initial check in your bet. Why is the dealer altering the board in any way without first having been instructed to do so by the floor? This can never happen. It's not the dealer's job to let the players make decisions or rulings, period. Changing the flop can never even be considered a minor decision in the players, no matter how knowledgeable or not the floor. Dealers should not be letting the players make rulings and decisions, even if they own stock in the company. Three, you were correct when uh, you argued the card should stay because of the betting that went down. Deja vu, as in a recent submission, changing the cards and making someone leave a bet in a pot that was based on a card or cards are no longer on the board is complete and utter nonsense. This should never happen. This is also the second ruling the dealer allowed a player to make. This sort of thing needs to stop happening now. You try to inject logic into the situation, but that appeared to be a silly and fruitless endeavor at this table. The players in that game know all the rules. As if. The correct ruling would have been easy. Uh, it would have been pretty easy. First, I would have instructed the table that the flop is playing a spread. This is from Robert's Rules of Pokers, Irregularities. Number 16, if the dealer fails to burn a card or burns more than one card, the, the error should be corrected if discovered before betting action has started for that round. Once action has been taken on a board card, the card must stand. Uh, after the flop betting round was completed, the dealer would burn and turn as normal throughout the rest of the hand. If a shuffle machine is not in use, although I can't see that happening in overregulated Missouri, I would have had the dealer count down the stub to verify the deck count. Let's recap the main points here. In order for the board to be corrected, one or more cards changed out, there must not have been substantial action. Once two players act with one of them putting money in the pot, or three players have acted in any way at all, substantial action is understood to have occurred, and cards on the board must stay. No ifs, ands, or buts. Dealers and players do not ever get to make rulings and decisions. It does not matter how well anyone knows the rules of poker. Only the floor makes a game decision or ruling. And one more chance to beat this drum. Will someone ex please explain to me like I'm a third grader why they think it is necessary and valid to disregard substantial action in order to correct the order of the cards being dealt, but not necessary to re disregard any bets made on the incorrect cards? Will these dumbasses make the same amount if this was a river? I could just imagine the scenario. Dealer puts out the river after failing to burn. Player A bets $100. Player B calls. Dumbass player not in the hand points out the dealer did not burn, explains that the current river is the actual burn card. Dealer removes river, places new river on the board, and asks to see the winner because the betting round is over. Folks, this would never happen because almost every player on earth would flip the table over before they let a river be taken away like this. Well, if you're not going to let the river be taken away, why would you change or alter the flop to floor rest? Uh, <clears throat> very good. <laughs> that is very good. Um, and I agree. I mean... I, I don't know how I would react. I mean, seriously, like you talked about flipping the table over. You know, when, when you and I played poker in the public eye now, we were always sort of like, you know, reserved a little bit. I mean, not that we were jerks at the table anyway, but I mean, we really, I mean, you know, you got your logo on there, it's your business, whatever. But I, I don't think I could restrain myself, even if I was had every, you know, potential business partner on the planet watching me play and that happened. I mean, there's just no way. There's just no well, way that should here's, happen. Here's the one error that Todd made, and he explained why he made it. He should have insisted on the floor. Yes, so yes. that's what it would have happened then. Now, if the floor comes over and confirms all this crappy stuff the dealer made, that's when I, you're right. Now I, I flip the table over. But yeah, yeah. we didn't get to that point, so it's hard for me to imagine that we were we were ever in that scenario would we get to that point. Um, we were only in that point here because we didn't call the floor. So. Yeah, you know, and that, let me put it this way. If if I have the option of everyone at the table being upset with me or me losing a $500 pot, I'm going to have everybody at the table upset with me. <laughs> you know, I mean, not in this case, you, you know, he won the hand anyway, but, you know, he, there's no way I'm giving up like 70 bucks here or something 
because now he flops over a flop that has or another card that now pairs the board that gives someone trips to my overpair and I lose a huge pot because of you know or something and it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous if something is wrong and they most of these poker rooms have rules on the thing and the first rule is you know do what's best for the table and call the floor i mean they that's what they do you, that's the, why they're there you know we're not giving the floors a Oh, I'll let them have an easy day today at work. No, that's their job. What else are they doing if they're not coming over and making rulings? You know. Uh, yeah, and I'll say this too. I mean, I understand the the hesitation to play the game. You do get a lot of peer pressure at some games where everybody seems to know the the right answer and you disagree. Um, and then you you have that fear, like if I ask for the floor, the floor comes over and confirms that everybody else's table is right and I was wrong. Now the table hates me even more, right? Um, but, you know, if you listen to the show and you listen to what Elliot says and, and um, you have a, a, at least a, a you have a better standing on how these decisions come down than the average player that doesn't, uh, the chances of, of you being embarrassed by the floor are much less. Right. So but either way, I mean, the reason I think you should always call the floor in these situations is that there is not a person on Earth that gets a ruling right every time so even the smartest player at your table that's played forever that you would think knows the rules in and out has made a mistake at some point and thinks something is right and then the floor comes over and and rules differently and rules correctly right so um the reason you call the floor is to educate those players that don't know if they've they've heard something or usually what happens and how many times have we done this on call the floor they people misunderstand They, they hear one part of a rule and then they try to apply it somewhere else that it it's not applicable so having the floor coming over is education for everyone. It's education for you. It's education for the other players. It's education for the dealer. So it, it, it's never a bad thing. Um, I understand in a tournament when the clock's running and it may be a little harder to get a floor over that now it's a little bit more difficult on that. But I, I always think it's better to have the floor come over and then, you know, and then eventually somebody at the table is going to learn something when the floor comes over. And that's going to make it less likely that you're going to have a floor call in the future. So... Yeah, if it's a tournament, I feel a little more pressure because then you're stuck with those players too for a while, and the, the time and all that thing. But if you're in a cash game and they're mad at you, seat change, just get up and go. Yeah. You yeah. know, so there's all kinds of ways to avoid it. That's why I always play cash games because there's so much more freedom, and uh, I, I feel like I have I'm at liberty to be able to do what I need to be needs to be done when I'm playing. Whereas in a tournament, you're sort of held captive uh, with those people and by that clock. And it's just, so yeah, I agree. Just, just call the floor. Just do it. Just do it. Hey, we got new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week, we're playing your garden variety, $1, $2, no limit hold'em in our regular casino. Standard 1-2 action, however, there is one monster stack at the table of 2400. He goes in waves of aggressiveness and passivity, but generally dictates the action. The other players want to wait and see what he does before they make any moves. We sit with 300, up 100. The game is nine-handed. The blinds post, the under the gun and plus one fold, and an MP directly to the right of the monster stack takes a glance at the monster stack, glances at his chips, and then slowly calls. The monster stack folds, and it's to us in the hijack with the nine of hearts, nine of clubs. This is a decent hand, but I'm really not wanting to raise. The MP who hesitated and then called has gone through a rough patch lately. 
he's had to rebuy after back-to-back suckouts diminished his stack. He had around 400, lost 200 to a new player at the table on a suckout, and then lost the rest of his stack when his flop set lost to the monster stack's rivered flush. He sits with 200 and hasn't done a whole lot that has been out of line. However, he has gotten way more conservative. The button calls. Small blind calls. Big blind checks. There's roughly $10 in the pot, and the flop is the 8 of spades, 6 of diamonds, 5 of spades. We have a straight draw, but no spades. The small blind and big blind check, but the MP makes a $15 bet into the pot. My curiosity has peaked. We call. Everybody else folds, and with $40 in the pot, the turn is the deuce of clubs. The MP thinks for a short period of time before betting $30. We call. Maybe we should have raised at some point leading up to this? The pot is around 100 and the river is the tray of hearts. Our opponent leads for $60, leaving him about 100 behind. So, action's on us. What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at AnnieAtMagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Peter Kilman is in the house today. I think uh, for, probably a first-time listener. As he uh, actually he says, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a long-time listener, more like a creepishly intense recent listener. <laughs> it's all right. We appreciate it. Uh, he said he found the podcast this autumn and have listened to some 80, 90 episodes since then. Just love it and can't get enough. Aw, go on. <laughs> uh, he says this is his first time contributing and. Um, uh, all right, so he says, uh, since I'm quite unsure how much time these dilemmas will take you, I sent you two different scenarios, uh, scenes and scenarios to dissect. Oh, I didn't know that. That's an huh. awful long silence there. <laughs> We're really breaking all the broadcasting rules today, I gotta tell you. <laughs> no, I wonder, because I usually, uh, denote that on there. So, all right, I guess we'll just play through here and see what happens, but, um, uh, all right, um... It's the Ace Jack, you said, right? At the end there, it's his name says Ace Jack. Yes. So look, right, for, so the look first, for the Ace Jack and then read the Ace Jack yeah, hand. All right, here we go. All right, that's what I got confused. <laughs> uh, live game he was in last week. 25 players in the game, all of them quite good in experience. Okay. Two, two and a half hours in and just back from breaking tacos. Yep, they serve tacos. Pretty awesome. Wow. Uh, after a buy and rebuy and add-on, uh, I've spent some $70 and currently sit with 35,000 chips. So it's a tournament now, so not a okay. cash game. Very good. And that being roughly the average stack. Uh, blinds are 700, 1,500. Kind of odd. That's, that's weird. Yeah, that's but, weird. Yeah, it is right. Uh, on the other gun, 3,000. The hijack calls, and we are in the cutoff with, as Chris spoiled, uh, the ace of clubs, jack club. <laughs> I didn't spoil it. <laughs> Um, it's not like I said, oh, he lost the head, you know, or something. So I, I have can't no believe idea. John Snow kills Daenerys. <laughs> Bad plot device. Oh, uh, let's see. Well, here's the deal is when someone under the gun makes a raise, if we're just going to go to, you know, standard poker rules, standard poker thoughts, that kind of thing, that person is supposed to have a way better hand than we have right now. Exactly. Yeah. Now, it's sort of a minimum raise, though, so it's pretty small, and it's even less than 10% of your stack. Um, you're in the cutoff, so there's a good chance you'll be last to act for the rest of the hand. Um, and it's a suited Broadway hand with an ace. So, I mean, you got a couple of callers. You might have callers behind you, so it might be worth 
taking a flyer on this for three grand. I, I don't see myself re-raising with Ace Jack. I mean, the only way I would do that is if I knew at the end of the gun player was a little, a little loose, and I knew that I would be heads up and I'd have position on the rest of the way, uh, isolate him, that kind of thing. If I thought that wouldn't work, if I thought this is a type of player that you know, a min raise under the gun means that he has a big hand. And if I were to open up the betting again, he would gladly make it 20 grand after that. Um, then I'm just probably going to call and hope I hit two to a flush, three to a flush, top two, some sort of trips, something like that, Broadway. And if those things aren't in the cards, pardon my pun, then I would uh, I would probably get out to any kind of pressure. So I don't know, maybe a call is worthy here. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I realize that, like I said, it, these hands of the week are very difficult because the first rule of Super System is you're playing the player, not the cards. But in this case, I don't know anything about these players, so I can't do that. So if I have to resort back to, you know, the baseline of Joe Navarro would say. You know, the baseline of players is generally raising under the gun means aces, kings, ace, king suited, ace, queen suited, maybe queens, you know, something like that. Um, and then if they're not that type of player, then file that information away later when if you see him, you know, show his hand. So in my case, I would probably just call. All right, so I can defend all three. Um, uh, but but I think you have to be – you have to understand why you're doing each of the three if you're going to do them, right? Yeah. So um, I can defend a raise here because we are in, in position. Um, we have a hand that could flop big. I agree with you. I do. Everything is pointing to us being behind here. But if we raise here, get re-raised, now we kind of know before we get farther in the hand what we need to hit, right? Right. Um, not suggesting we do that, but that's that's that would be the logic behind raising here. Um, calling, uh, as you as you mentioned, uh, again we have a hand that flops big. If we want to call here, though, we need to define what we're looking for, and that's not the ace, right? Because you know, we're probably out kicked right now. So it's going to have to be that Broadway that fits our hand, Jack, hopefully clubs. If not, then we got to be very careful. Um, the downside of calling, I think, though, is we are a little bit more than 20 big blinds right now, right? So as you mentioned, we are – the call is uh, less than 10%, so it's, it's within range to flush mine, I guess you'd call it. Here, right? <laughs> um but he, here's what you got to understand about that. So now, all right, so it's it's 3,000. So now we're down to 32. So now we're right around, um, that's 21 big blinds left, right? If we make any kind of bets or calls the rest of the hand, now we're in shove or fold mode, I think, Yeah. going forward. So you want to be careful of that, that you don't get involved in this hand. All right, I'm going to call and just see if I hit. And then, all right, the, the flop bet was kind of minimal and i've got something working i call that and then you fold on the turn now you've just squandered enough money that you're in shoving full mode so that's why i'd be a little worried about calling here so that's why i think uh you can justify a fold here as well too because of that you got an undergun razor which should be a little scary for this hand um you're really calling kind of hoping to hit something so you're really kind of wasting that three thousand unless you hit right um, so at that point is that it, 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 you either, I think need to take a stand with this hand and raise and define and hope for the best here, um, or fold. I, I, I think the call is probably the weakest of the three for me. 
Yeah, well, if you do call, you have to be the yeah, as long as you're going to be disciplined, you might make make it right. But if you're going to be undisciplined, you absolutely have to fold or raise here. <laughs> can you can you be weaker than a fold? I don't know how. <laughs> if you're folding, that's pretty weak. But I understand it's. A small I think move, for the but, overall tournament yeah, life. Yeah. If you think about it that way, it's not as weak as it might seem. Now, if we, if we're all if everybody's deep stacked here, then yes, absolutely, the fold would be incredibly weak. But yeah, I don't mind the call though. I mean, like I said, if I call and and I'm disciplined to get away from it, I still have thirty two thousand chips. That's that's nothing. It's very different. Not much different yes, than your thirty five. You if the flop misses and you're out, absolutely. Yeah. yeah what so suggest, what happens if you hit a jack? Now you're going to stay in, right? And then uh, something else comes down, and next thing you know, you, you get pushed out of this hand. You know, maybe it's two hearts on the board, and then the third heart comes on the turn. All kinds of scenarios on the turn where, you, where now you're you, you put more money on the flop, and then you get nothing out of it because you have to get out of the turn. Yeah, yeah, we got to be this one. That's all. And, and how come we can never be the one that hits the ace and beats someone's kings? Every well, time we do hand of the week, it's always that's, they that's, have to have an ace in their hand when they raise. Never gonna and, happen. It's always the other guy. <laughs> it's always the other. It's never us. We never get to hit the ace and say, "Yay, we beat kings." But when we have kings, it's always ace comes on the flop, and we're worried that someone has the ace. It doesn't make sense. I don't get it. That's why poker is tough. It's a hard game. But uh, I'm going to call, and I don't know what you're going to do. I don't think you really said what you're going to do. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to fold here. I'm like, you know, we got we got time to play here. I'm like, you know, now, of course, I'm going to fold, and three clubs are going to come on the board, and I'm going to kick myself. But um, or, or king, queen, ten, which would probably even be better uh, for action. But at this point, I, I'm really it, – it's interesting how you think about your chip stacks in tournaments, right? So when you have – I read something the other day about how uh, – maybe it was one of our columnists, right? Uh, that when you have a big stack, the worst thing to do is just to uh, rest on your laurels, right, and tighten up. You right, know, right. you need to be using those chips, right? So I think people know how to use a big stack. Obviously, when you get down to that 10, 15 big blinds, people know that you should be shoving or folding, right? Um, I, I've extended that to 20 in my own play. Um, but it's that 20 to 40 big blind kind of area where you feel com- you feel comfortable and then you wake up after a hand and realize you're uncomfortable now. So I think that's where players make a lot of the, 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 the bad decisions because they're still playing as if it's the beginning of the tournament when they're very deep so they can take flyers on hands like this and hope to hit knowing that they could fold if not. And now you're getting to this point where if you take that flyer and you miss, now you find yourself in a different situation that you have to continue the rest of the tournament. And so... Um, I, I don't mind doing that with a different kind of hand, but this this one is just one that I think I, I'll take a pass on. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with that either. I just I wondered because even this, if you like, I said, if you called and were strict with it, then you're still over, just over that twenty big blind threshold that you like. So you know you're still there's really well, yeah. not much. So of a here's the thing: if I knew, and you can't know this, right? But just for the sake of argument, if you knew that either you were going to completely whiff on this flop or completely crush it. <laughs> then obviously I, I I would be willing to put that three thousand in. There. Yeah, I mean it sounds kind of weird, uh, but uh, if you knew you're going to whiff and throw it away, why would you put the three thousand in? But uh, I'm more worried about something that something attractive enough to keep me in for another one, and then worst case uh, something on the turn that makes it so ugly that I don't want to stay, <laughs> or you know get to the river and lose at that point, and then look down on them and got nothing. So, um. That, that's kind of the fear I have at this stage it, with my chip stack and the number of blinds I have. So, all right. Well, I think that's why we have the ten percent rule in place to help us with that. And I think in this case, I'm going to call because I think that that ten percent doesn't hurt my stack at all. And I'm just I'm I'm more disciplined at the table than m- many people. So, if I hit the jack, 
locally, I'll probably be last to act in the hand, and I'll be able to gauge exactly what's going on. And then if at the ace, then I'll same thing. So, and if it's something else, then I will be more than happy to to push on. So, all right, let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, Hero says, it's my first time playing this club, and I've been playing horribly all night. Uh, low confidence, insecure, and making bad calls, uh, costing me a lot of my stack. Won some pots, lost some. Uh, the other gun is a dude in his mid-20s listening to music on his headphones and chewing gum aggressively. Hijack is an older gentleman playing aggressive with his big stack. He has without a doubt noticed that I have played subpar so far and pushes me around like a ragdoll every time I enter a pot. Wow. All right, flop is the ten of clubs, five of clubs, deuce of diamonds. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's enough to keep me around. <laughs> uh, under the gun, immediately pushes all in for his remaining 30,000-ish. Hijack calls relatively quickly and has the under gun covered by a lot. And now it's on us. Uh, we have roughly the same amount as the under the gun, about two to 3,000 more. And stand the triple up or bust. Yeah, I'm calling. Uh, I, I, I think I get my chips in pretty fast here. Uh, and the reason being is that we got a little more information out of him now. He has been playing well all night. So now he's being timid. So he doesn't have enough chips to actually do what he wants to do at the table. He's got a chance to triple up. He's got the nut flush, two overs. And I just think that this could be... Plus, if he folds... Now he's near Scott's shover fold mode anyway if he's that type of player where he thinks 20 big blinds is the time to do it. So you're not going to get a better situation than this when you shove preflop. Yeah, you might steal the blinds if they all fold to you, but it's going to be very difficult to pick up a better hand than this or, and than this situation you're in right now with two overs, nut flush draw, and a chance to triple up. Uh, I think I, I probably get it in there pretty quickly. I realize that, you know, we put 70 bucks in, but really it's – that's not that big of a deal uh, for a tournament. And, you know, at this point, you'd have 100,000 chips, and now you've got three times the average stack, and you're going to – all of a sudden, your outlook's going to change. Your thought process is going to change. Your style of play will change. There's just – to me, there's, there's no better spot now. And I, and I I used to do this all the time no matter what. Uh, you know, I would shove on flush draws, and I learned my lesson – but I was doing it as uh, a move, or I was doing it as, eh, either I, it's a semi-bluff. Here, you're, you know, back then, I wouldn't have a chance to triple up. Maybe I would double up. Maybe I would win a smallish pot with isolating somebody who's all in already or something. But here, how often are you going to get a chance to triple up with the nut flush draw on two overs? You know, just because somebody could have aces or somebody could have a set doesn't mean that you're still i mean you still have 10 outs uh if it's just aces and you still have you know a little fewer i guess one or two fewer than that for if somebody boats up on you but really i mean and even even if the other person who's got that person covered even if you somehow beat that person in the pot you might still walk away with some twelve thousand chips or something like that which then you know it's still shove mode but you might not be completely out anyway there's so many things here that would allow me to call here and i i think i'm just putting them all in Wow, so here's what's interesting about because uh, I I went back and while well, you're I was listening to you, you don't think I wasn't <laughs> I went back and looked at my response to, to Peter May first um, because as soon as I saw it I was I was thinking like you were I'm like all right yeah you got to call here and triple up 
And in my response to him, I said, this is a clear fold. <laughs> so wow. it's funny how you look at it differently uh, in time. But, uh, but uh, so, uh, yeah, I went back after, you know, obviously listened to what you said and, and thinking about it a little bit harder. And I still, I'm still in the, maybe not clear fold now, but I, I'm in a fold. Uh, you made some very good points about why you need to call here, um, particularly the confidence. And that, that's a very good point here. Um, my concern though is, is that to me, this is a hit a club or lose hand. Um, I don't, I know we have overs, but we have a, under the gun player that raised pre-flop and then shoved on this flop. And then we have another player that quickly called and we're sitting with the best clubs. So it's possible maybe that middle guy has worse clubs and thinks it's fine, but um, it really seems like to me that we're up against a overpair and maybe a set. And if that's the case, um, really our, our overpair outs are out and now we have to hit that club and hope the board doesn't pair after that. So, um, I, I think we're asking a lot of this hand. Um, and the one thing that I said to the Peter too, is there's a the difference between if you were under the gun here and you were the first to shove here. That I would do all day long with this hand because um, now you have two chances of winning. You know, you get everybody to fold um, and you win with your ace high or two. If they call, then you have to hit your hand and then you double or triple up as it is here. Um, when you're just calling off your chips, that's a different story. So now now we're pretty much saying, in fact, actually, we're clearly saying I have to hit the win. Now, um, if you get back to what you're saying and, and the, the confidence and where we are in the tournament, you, you pick up a couple points on that. So, you know, you could probably talk me into a call on that. Um, but generally speaking, uh, for me, this is a fold here. I'm going to wait for a better spot. Again, we only put our 3,000 in and now we're being disciplined. Um, still plenty of play left and we'll look for a spot where we can be the aggressor and not the, uh, the caller. Uh, you know, one of the things that you said, um, was about what we were saying about what that shove meant uh, to me. It doesn't matter because we're all in anyway, because the other guy is all in We're we're not going to force somebody out. So no matter, it doesn't matter what we're saying now by shoving, we're just shoving to get the triple up. You know, it's well, not no, like we're, we're going to affect someone else's yeah, thoughts. We're, we're telling ourselves though we have to. Yeah, no, I, okay, but even that. I feel like a story of the other opponents. They don't care. There, I mean, I could see hands that are like jack ten, and our ace and jack are good. You know, or I guess a jack wouldn't be, but our ace is good. I could see that somebody also had ace ten, and our jack is. You know, I mean, it could be well, someone yeah, else in a flush draw. Queens and your ace is good. So, yeah, I mean, so there there are hands. Two two opponents though. So yeah, well, I, like I said, it could be a jack ten who's the guy's got a ton of chips and he's just trying to to knock somebody out. And then we could beat him with the ace. Uh, it could be 10-9. It could be two clubs. And so, yeah, we have two or fewer outs. But at the same time, we could hit our over if we're going against a club draw. I mean, it, it, obviously, we're probably crushed here at 10 of the week. And um, But to me, when I'm, when I'm making bad decisions and I'm losing and, and it's miserable and I have a bad outlook – there's nothing better than doubling through somebody to, to turn that around for you and to make you feel a little more confident and play the game you want to play. When I'm short-stacked, I'm miserable at the table. I'm miserable. When I have a bunch of chips, that's when I can speculate, play the game I like to play, and then just keep winning pot after pot. In this case, he's got a chance to triple up, and there's still a chance there's those half-outs that are in there that, you know, hey, maybe he really is up against 9-10 and two other clubs. Maybe it is up against 9-10 and... and 
you know, queens, and I have the ace for an out, and I have the clubs for an out, and, you know, so those are half outs on top of it. Plus, you have pretty much every club that's not going to pair the board, and I just feel like this is a really good chance for you to do this. This chance is not coming along, and I think we talked earlier about if he does fold, he's in the 20 big blind mode, which is shove mode, and why not shove now with a chance to triple up instead of later when somebody can hand-pick the hand they want to choose against your shove you know what I mean? Right now, you, right now you've got, you know, there's no backing down from these guys now. They're all in, and you're shoving. So I don't know. I, I, I can't fold here. I, I like your fold, and I like the discipline we talked about. I like that you can do it. Me, I feel like this is a great spot to not fold. Um, and we're probably going to lose at the end of the week. But I'm, I'm okay with that because I feel like it would have turned my game around. It would have turned my, out, my outlook around. And I would have been able to play the game I wanted to. That would have been one of the tournament probably chip leaders at that point. I think he said there's like 20-something players left. How many of those players really have 100, 115,000 chips? You know, I mean, that's a huge deal to me. And that's you know, how you play big and go home. the compelling point is yeah. the, the confidence factor. And, you know, hey, so if we show up here and we don't catch and we're out, it, it was a bad tournament from beginning anyhow. So let's just write it off the books. And if we do triple up here and then then the whole outlook has changed and we turned a uh frog into a prince right yeah, so yeah, yeah you know they say um, they give yourself a chance right give yourself a chance to and there's two versions of that there's the give yourself a chance by having chips uh and folding and then there's give your chance to actually win the tournament by making the big stack that everyone is so so envious of when they're in tournaments and you always see these guys these huge stacks and you're saying to yourself why can't i do that and here's your chance to do it so, you know, sometimes you take a chance and you, and you, you take the flyer and it happens. And if it doesn't happen, all right, well, you learned your lesson that you probably, you know, should have played differently in this tournament. And next time you go out, play a little differently than you played this time. And you be a little more confident, too, because it's not your first time at the in this place anymore. It'll be your second time and a little more experience. Right. All right. Here's what our hero says. Uh, he says, I'm thinking I've had a rough night so far. This is my shot to take down a huge pot and aim for the money uh, with my massive stack. Uh, although if I lose, I'm out. If I just fold, I have not that many chips left. I will have to make a move within the next few orbits, or I'm going to get eaten by the blinds. I'm not invested a lot in this pop, but I'm tempted to make the call. I'm guessing I'm up against a set and over pair, maybe a draw. Maybe just a huge bluff followed by top pair, top kicker. Call, although somewhat unlikely since the hijack still has me to act behind him. The two, two people behind him, I'm guessing the end of the gun has hit something, but hijack might just call the draw or a small hit just because he can and isn't afraid of me calling at all. I know I'm behind with absolutely squadoosh at the moment. If I hit the flush, I really don't care about the top pairs or sets anymore, so it's either rags or riches. Uh, sounds like he's going down the Chris Cassandra line. He sounds like it. You know, one thing we didn't consider either was runner-runner uh, king-queen for Broadway. That's another, oh, out. That's another half out right there. Yep, half out, yep. <laughs> uh, taking in uh, consideration that I've played quite awful so far, I'm thinking this is my shot, 5-1 to one to hit the flush, but that could uh, really give me a fresh new start or a bust, which at this point feels almost better than being blinded out uh, and being silently slept aside. So, all right, so all the arguments you made, which are very strong ones. So Cool. Um, our hero goes all in. The hijack calls the uh, skittles I had him covered with. Under the gun shows 5-5 five, five for the set. Wow, I didn't think he was the set. I thought the other guy had the set. <laughs> Interesting. And hijack shows jack ten for top pair decent kicker. Well, all right, you said that was a possibility, so uh, uh, it doesn't really matter at this point. <laughs> no, we gotta hit the flush and hope it doesn't pair the board. Uh, here's says, great. A set in top pair, no clubs taken, just about as good as it gets for now. Uh, turn comes to five, giving the end of the gun quads. That's gonna make it hard. <laughs> for us, man. Let's please win the uh, side pot to stay alive. 
<laughs> River goes 10, giving the hijack a boat to go with the other kind of quads. Oh, man. I bust the flush draw, lose a big time, and I leave in uh, disappointment. So the question remains, bad call, good call? And, of course, is my thought process flawed or onto something here? I know I'm probably not getting the odds I need, but just thought of hitting a nut flush and tripling had me all excited. I can't imagine getting better odds than tripling your stack. I mean, I, I don't know what – I mean, I'm not trying to get you to hit a one-outer on the river. I mean, you got two cards to come, and you got the unknowns. You don't know your ace isn't good. You don't know your jack isn't good. You don't know you're not going to get runner-runner Broadway, and you don't know your clubs aren't good. So that's a lot of outs, and you're going to triple up. I, I, I don't think you made a mistake there. I mean, yeah, you could fold and still be alive and then just get blinded off like you said and – you know, it's like the what's it, the frog in the boiling water. You know, it's going to get every time around, it's going to get harder and harder for you to realize you're dead until you're dead. And in this case, you made a bold move. Um, I don't fault the call because it still would have had more than 20 big blinds if you just folded after the flop. And, you know, if it was a crappy flop, and you made the bold move that you had to make. And it, to me, you win that hand, you win the tournament, then you're sending us in a a hand of the week that's from at the final table when you win the whole thing. So, I mean, who knows? So, to me, I don't have a problem with any of this. Uh, I really don't. I mean, if anything, I would have I would have played differently as I would have thought like Scott and folded pre-flop just because I know I'm dominated and I really have to hit it hard. Same time, 10% of my stack and I'm still over 20 big blinds. Why not take the flyer? I mean, you know, you got yourself in a situation you're out of the tournament because of it, but you also could have won the tournament because of it. And I like those odds, so I don't have a problem with that. I like playing poker the way I want to play, and if I if they're going to handicap me in some way by giving me a shorter stack, it's going to make me miserable. So this would have made me happy and would have made, made me be able to play the way I wanted to play. So I don't I don't think it was a bad call at all. Yeah, I actually kind of feel bad that I was so sharp in my not criticism in my response to him though, because I think really you. You can't say you made a mistake here, right? Because, uh, one, you, you thought through the process. You made the decision that was best for your game at that particular point. I mean, we're not robots, right? We're humans. So you made the best decision for your game at that point, and it just didn't work out, right? So that's not a bad decision um, or a bad move. Um, it was a bad result. Um, and equally, if you decided to fold there, I don't think it's a bad move. Um, obviously, you would have seen that you wouldn't have won, so because uh, they're all in, and then you would have pat yourself on the back like, whoosh, I didn't make that mistake, right? So that doesn't make that any better or worse of a mistake either. So, you know, as long as you think through and you have good reasons for what you're doing, then I, I don't. it's hard pressed to say uh, that's ever a mistake if you've done that. And if you don't take the thought and you act robotic and not as a human, then, then, then you do make mistakes. I didn't realize you criticized people other than me. That's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, my wife. Like- but. Yeah, I feel like you're cheating on us. <laughs> what the hell's up with that? It's all right, Peter. Thanks for sending in the hand, and uh, you get something really cool, so that's always good. I'm Chris Casenza. Hey, I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206 338 6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.